For those new to the podcast, welcome to where members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints feel like they connect with and enjoy the scriptures within minutes. We do this verse by verse, with the help from modern witnesses of Jesus Christ, giving deep, powerful, and engaging insights to what we are reading. Also, helping us see how ancient scriptures very much apply to us in the modern day. Feel free to follow this podcast to stay up to date and share it with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Right now, we are gaining insight on the Book of Mormon. My style is to always read the verse or verses first to give us context, and then let those verses really flourish in your minds by accompanying them with insights directly after. This way, we get a healthy dose of scriptures with our commentary. I invite you to listen to the scriptures being read intently before the insights and see if you can find what the topic will be. I also invite you to write down anything you needed to hear today and feel free to share it with the community using the hashtag AllInChristDaily. So, first, Nephi 14.7 states for us, For the time cometh, saith the Lamb of God, that I will work a great and a marvelous work among the children of men, a work which shall be everlasting, either on the one hand or on the other, either to the convincing of them unto peace and life eternal, or unto the deliverance of them to the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds, unto their being brought down into captivity, and also into destruction, both temporally and spiritually, according to the captivity of the devil, of which I have spoken. The scriptures describe the restoration of the gospel and the organization of the church as a great and a marvelous work. In this context, the word great means significant and meaningful, while marvelous means wonderful and incomprehensible. Work speaks of an act or accomplishment that is everlasting. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland explained that the significance of the church is twofold. This church, the great institutional body of Christ, is a marvelous work and a wonder, not only because of what it does for the faithful, but also because of what the faithful do for it. Your lives are at the very heart of that marvel. You are evidence of the wonder of it all. First Nephi 14.14 states for us, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the Church of the Lamb, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness, and with the power of God in great glory. Elder Neil A. Maxwell explained that righteousness will be the power of the Lord's people. So let us look at ourselves. For the church, the scriptures suggest both an accelerated sifting and accelerated spiritual numerical growth. With all this preceding, the time when the people of God will be armed with righteousness, not weapons, and when the Lord's glory will be poured out upon them. The Lord is determined to have a tried, pure, and proven people. And there is nothing that the Lord thy God shall take in his heart to do, but what he will do it. Elder Maxwell further explained that honoring our covenants is vital to the reception of this promise. Church members have a special rendezvous to keep, brothers and sisters. Nephi saw it. One future day, he said. Jesus' covenant people, scattered upon all the face of the earth, will be armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. This will happen, but only after more members become more saintly and more consecrated in conduct. 1 Nephi 14, 18 through 30 states for us, And it came to pass that the angel spake unto me, saying, Look! And I looked and beheld a man, and he was dressed in a white robe. And the angel said unto me, Behold one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb.
Behold, he shall see and write the remainder of these things, yea, and also many things which have been. And he shall also write concerning the end of the world. Wherefore, the things which he shall write are just and true. And behold, they are written in the book, which thou beheld proceeding out of the mouth of the Jew. And at the time they proceeded out of the mouth of the Jew, or at the time the book proceeded out of the mouth of the Jew, the things which were written were plain and pure, and most precious and easy to the understanding of all men. And behold, the things which this apostle of the Lamb shall write are many things which thou hast seen. And behold, the remainder shalt thou see. But the things which thou shalt see hereafter, thou shalt not write. For the Lord God hath ordained the apostle of the Lamb of God, that he should write them. And also others who have been to them hath he shown all things, and they have written them. And they are sealed up to come forth in their purity, according to the truth, which is in the Lamb, in the own due time of the Lord, unto the house of Israel. And I, Nephi, heard and bear record that the name of the apostle of the Lamb was John, according to the word of the angel. And behold, I, Nephi, am forbidden that I should write the remainder of the things which I saw and heard. Wherefore the things which I have written sufficeth me. And I have written but a small part of the things which I saw. And I bear record that I saw the things which my father saw and the angel of the Lord did make them known unto me. And now I make an end of speaking concerning the things which I saw while I was carried away in the Spirit. And if all the things which I saw are not written, the things which I have written are true. And thus it is. Amen. Verses 18-30 through 30 in 1 Nephi 14 refer to the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, written by the Apostle John. Nephi saw the events of our day, but was not allowed to write them because it was John's responsibility. Verse 26 could have reference to the portion of the Book of Mormon that was sealed. First, Nephi 15, 2-11 states for us, And it came to pass that I beheld my brethren, and they were disputing one with another concerning the things which my father had spoken unto them. For he truly spake many great things unto them, which were hard to be understood, save a man should inquire of the Lord. And they being hard in their hearts, therefore they did not look unto the Lord as they ought. And now I, Nephi, was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, and also because of the things which I had seen, and knew they must unavoidably come to pass because of the great wickedness of the children of men. And it came to pass that I was overcome because of my afflictions, for I considered that mine afflictions were great above all, because of the destruction of my people, for I had beheld their fall. And it came to pass that after I had received strength, I spake unto my brethren, desiring to know of them the cause of their disputations. And they said, Behold, we cannot understand the words which our Father hath spoken concerning the natural branches of the olive tree, and also concerning the Gentiles. And I said unto them, Have ye inquired of the Lord? And they said unto me, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. Behold, I said unto them, how is it that ye do not keep the commandments of the Lord? How is it that ye will perish because of the hardness of your hearts? Do ye not remember the things which the Lord hath said? If ye will not harden your hearts and ask me in faith, believing that ye shall receive, with diligence in keeping my commandments, surely these things shall be made known unto you. Elder Dallin H. Oaks discussed how a hard heart limits our spirituality. Nephi attempted to teach his brothers that they could know the meaning of their father's prophetic utterances, which were hard to be understood. 
save a man should inquire of the Lord. Nephi told them, if they did not harden their hearts, and would keep the commandments and inquire of the Lord in faith. Surely these things shall be made known unto you. If we harden our hearts, reject continuing revelation, and limit our learning to what we can obtain by study and reason on the precise language of the present canon of scriptures, our understanding will be limited to what Alma called the lesser portion of the word. If we seek and accept revelation and inspiration to enlarge our understanding of the scriptures, we will realize a fulfillment of Nephi's inspired promise that those who diligently seek will have the mysteries of God unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost. The prophet Joseph Smith explained that not only could Laman and Lemuel know the things Nephi and his father knew, but that this principle applies to us as well. Could we all come together with one heart and one mind in perfect faith, the veil might as well be rent today as next week, or any other time. God hath not revealed anything to Joseph, but what he will make known unto the twelve, and even the least saint may know all things as fast as he is able to bear them. First Nephi 15, 12-13 states for us, Behold, I say unto you, that the house of Israel was compared unto an olive tree, by the Spirit of the Lord which was in our Father. And behold, are we not broken off from the house of Israel? And are we not a branch of the house of Israel? And now, the thing which our Father meaneth concerning the grafting in of the natural branches through the fullness of the Gentiles, is, that in the latter days, when our seed shall have dwindled in unbelief, yea, for the space of many years and many generations after the Messiah shall be manifested in body unto the children of men, then shall the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah come unto the Gentiles, and from the Gentiles unto the remnant of our seed. We frequently read about the Jews and Gentiles in the Book of Mormon. Sometimes it is difficult to understand whom the text is speaking to. Elder Bruce R. McConkie provided help with this challenge. Both Lehi and Nephi divide all men into two camps, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were either the nationals of the kingdom of Judah or their descendants. All others were considered to be Gentiles. Thus, we are the Gentiles of whom this scripture speaks. We are the ones who have received the fullness of the gospel. And we shall take it to the Lamanites, who are Jews, because their fathers came from Jerusalem and from the kingdom of Judah. Elder McConkie also identified one Gentile who would greatly assist in the restoration. Joseph Smith was the Gentile by whose hand the Book of Mormon came forth. And the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are the Gentiles who carry salvation to the Lamanites and to the Jews. 1 Nephi 15, 13-16 states for us, And now, the thing which our Father meaneth concerning the grafting in of the natural branches through the fullness of the Gentiles, is that in the latter days, when our seed shall have dwindled in unbelief, yea, for the space of many years and many generations after the Messiah shall be manifested in body unto the children of men, then shall the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah come unto the Gentiles, and from the Gentiles unto the remnant of our seed. And at that day shall the remnant of our seed know that they are of the house of Israel, and that they are the covenant people of the Lord. And then shall they know and come to the knowledge of their forefathers, and also to the knowledge of the gospel of their Redeemer, which was ministered unto their fathers by him. Wherefore, they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, and the very points of his doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. And then at that day will they not rejoice and give praise unto their everlasting God, their rock and their salvation? Yea, at that day will they not receive the strength and nourishment from the true vine, 
Yea, will they not come unto the true fold of God? Behold, I say unto you, Yea, they shall be remembered again among the house of Israel, they shall be grafted in, being a natural branch of the olive tree, into the true olive tree. President Gordon B. Hinckley declared the impact of the restoration in history. My brethren and sisters, do you realize what we have? Do you recognize our place in the great drama of human history? This is the focal point of all that has gone before. This is the season of restitution. These are the days of restoration. This is the time when men from over the earth come to the mountain of the Lord's house, to seek and learn of his ways, and to walk in his paths. This is the summation of all of the centuries of time since the birth of Christ to this present and wonderful day. 1 Nephi 15.24 states for us, And I said unto them that it was the word of God. And whoso would hearken unto the word of God, and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish. Neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness, to lead them away to destruction. President Ezra Taft Benson spoke of the blessing of having the word of God in our possession. It will not only lead us to great blessings, but gives us the strength to stand firm in the face of temptation. In his dream, Lehi saw an iron rod which led through the mists of darkness. He saw that if people would hold fast to that rod, they could avoid the rivers of filthiness, stay away from the forbidden paths, stop from wandering in the strange roads that lead to destruction. Later his son Nephi clearly explained the symbolism of the iron rod. When Laman and Lemuel asked, What meaneth the rod of iron? Nephi answered, It was the word of God. And note this promise, Whoso would hearken unto the word of God, and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish, neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness, to lead them away to destruction. Not only will the word of God lead us to the fruit which is desirable above all others, but in the word of God, and through it, we can find the power to resist temptation, the power to thwart the work of Satan and his emissaries. 1 Nephi 15, 32-35 states for us, And it came to pass that I said unto them that it was a representation of things both temporal and spiritual, for the day should come that they must be judged of their works. Yea, even the works which were done by the temporal body in their days of probation. Wherefore, if they should die in their wickedness, they must be cast off also. As to the things which are spiritual, which are pertaining to righteousness. Wherefore, they must be brought to stand before God, to be judged of their works. And if their works have been filthiness, they must needs be filthy. And if they be filthy, it must needs be that they cannot dwell in the kingdom of God. If so, the kingdom of God must be filthy also. But behold, I say unto you, the kingdom of God is not filthy, and there cannot any unclean thing enter into the kingdom of God. Wherefore there must needs be a place of filthiness prepared for that which is filthy. And there is a place prepared, yea, even that awful hell of which I have spoken, and the devil is the preparator of it. Wherefore the final state of the souls of men is to dwell in the kingdom of God, or to be cast out, because of that justice of which I have spoken. Elder Dallin H. Oaks spoke of how our works define who we are. What we become through our works constitutes the judgment we will receive. Many Bible and modern scriptures speak of a final judgment at which all persons will be rewarded according to their deeds or works or the desires of their hearts. 
but other scriptures enlarge upon this by referring to our being judged by the condition we have achieved. The prophet Nephi describes the final judgment in terms of what we have become. And if their works have been filthiness, they must needs be filthy. And if they be filthy, it must needs be that they cannot dwell in the kingdom of God. Moroni declares, He that is filthy shall be filthy still, and he that is righteous shall be righteous still. The same would be true of selfish or disobedient, or any other personal attribute inconsistent with the requirements of God. Referring to the state of the wicked in the final judgment, Alma explains that if we are condemned by our words, our works, and our thoughts, we shall not be found spotless. And in this awful state, we shall not dare to look up to our God. From such teachings, we conclude that the final judgment is not just an evaluation of a sum total of good and evil acts, what we have done. It is an acknowledgement of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have become. It is not enough for anyone just to go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made in some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. 1 Nephi 15, 34-35 states for us, But behold, I say unto you, The kingdom of God is not filthy, and there cannot any unclean thing enter into the kingdom of God. Wherefore there must needs be a place of filthiness prepared for that which is filthy. And there is a place prepared, yea, even that awful hell of which I have spoken, and the devil is the preparator of it. Wherefore the final state of the souls of men is to dwell in the kingdom of God, or to be cast out, because of that justice of which I have spoken. A clear distinction exists between good and evil, light and darkness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. Hell is the place prepared for the filthy who follow Satan, while the righteous who have followed God enjoy the peace and glory of his kingdom. But how can the final state of all people be divided into just two groups, those who dwell in the kingdom of God or those who will be cast out? The key to answering this question is found in Doctrine and Covenants 7643, which summarizes the work of Jesus Christ as follows. He glorifies the Father and saves all the works of his hands except those sons of perdition who deny the Son after the Father has revealed him. Thus, the final state will include the grouping of saved individuals and unsaved individuals, or sons of perdition. Saved individuals will include those who are allowed to enter a degree of glory. Doctrine and Covenants 76 names three degrees of glory. Celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. With information about the individuals who are worthy of each place in God's kingdom. Thus, salvation within the kingdom of God occurs in all three degrees of glory, while those who do not qualify are sons of perdition. Have you ever wondered why people respond differently to the same set of circumstances? Such was the case with Lehi's family. During their trials, some of the family members looked to God and trusted in him, while others complained, lacked faith, and rebelled. Our response to circumstances should produce growth and greater faith rather than an attitude of complaining and rebellion. As we read first Nephi 16 through 18, examine the challenges these people faced and how the Lord was able to help Lehi's family when they were faithful. Notice the suffering caused by rebelliousness and disobedience. Look for examples of how to be faithful during difficult circumstances by comparing the challenges in your life to the experiences of Lehi's family. First, Nephi 16 states for us, 
And it came to pass, that I said unto them that I knew that I had spoken hard things against the wicked, according to the truth. And the righteous have I justified, and testified that they should be lifted up at the last day. Wherefore the guilty taketh the truth to be hard, for it cutteth them to the very center. Nephi declared truth to his disobedient brothers in an effort to help them turn their hearts to God. Those who offend the Spirit through wickedness often take offense when given inspired correction or chastisement. Elder Neil A. Maxwell explained why we should accept the Lord's correction, even if it is painful. God is not only there in the mildest expressions of His presence, but also in those seemingly harsh expressions. For example, when truth cutteth to the very center, this may signal that spiritual surgery is underway, painfully severing pride from the soul. First, Nephi 16, 7 through 8 states for us, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, took one of the daughters of Ishmael to wife, and also my brethren took of the daughters of Ishmael to wife, and also Zoram took the eldest daughter of Ishmael to wife. And thus my father had fulfilled all the commandments of the Lord, which had been given unto him. And also, I, Nephi, had been blessed of the Lord exceedingly. After reading about the marriages between Lehi's and Ishmael's families, we are told that Lehi had fulfilled all the commandments the Lord had given him. Marriage is central to the Lord's plans for his children. The First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles declared the Lord's view on marriage. The family is ordained of God. Marriage between man and woman is essential to his eternal plan. Children are entitled to birth within the bonds of matrimony, and to be reared by a father and a mother who honor marital vows with complete fidelity. Happiness in family life is most likely to be achieved when founded upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ.